Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. And, you know, normally I say we had a lot of all of that last week. Uh, we had some of that. It was wide. There were three major events that took place on Saturday, for those of you who really keep track of those things. It was a UFC event that was okay. There was a Bellator event that was quintessential Bellator. And I don't normally talk too much about Bellator here because they make me hate the sport. But I, I do want to touch on the main event from that card because it was just so hilariously Bellator. And then the actual best card of the week was from ACA, which is a more Russian promotion. It used to be ACB. They merged with, I think, M1 or some other promotion became ACA. That had some really good fights on it, actually. If you're, you know, if you're hardcore enough to look them up, uh, Albert Tumanov won the their welterweight title on that card in in a five round fight that was pretty good. So it was very wide, not a whole lot of the wacky, uh, which is odd considering that the UFC event was in Florida. Like there was there was some there was some, but not as much as you would have thought considering you know Florida. And wonderful, yeah, yeah, we had a little of that, but uh, largely just kind of a transitional week, but we'll get into all the results from, again, the UFC event. I have to laugh at Bellator's main event. And then we'll have a preview of next week, UFC on ESPN Plus 9. The UFC is going to Ottawa. Uh, Just the second time they're they're in that city. They've been to Ontario before. I think for other things, because you know, Ontario's a large province, there's more cities than Ottawa, but this is just their second visit to Ottawa. And they're bringing a card that... Eh, there's some hidden gems on there. There's some duds on paper, but there's a few things that are potentially, are potentially pretty good fights. Uh, Alright, here with me, as per usual, 411 Mania's resident jack-of-all-trades, because he's in at least three of the zones at any given point in time. Jeff Harris is back with us. Jeff, how are you doing this evening? The 411 Ground and Pound radio show is dark and full of terrors. I'm Jeffrey Harris. Yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> all right. Last so, night. me about last night, the show did very well in terms of gate of attendance. Like, uh, I'm quite surprised. Yeah, they only recently came out with that. I know normally they announce those, like, right away, but for some reason there's... Uh, it was it was much higher than they expected. There was a lot of walk-up traffic. 12,700 attendees and a $1.2 million gate. Yeah, I think that was one of the problems they had with the previous event that they had tried to host in. Basically, it wasn't the same venue, but it was around the same area in, you know, Sunrise, Miami. Right. Uh, and just, what, they had. That the Johnson McCall fight, or w- what was the last one they did there? Uh, yeah, Johnson McCall, you are correct. UFC on FX. It, that was almost seven years ago. Has it really been that long for them? It has. For that area? Wow. Well, um, yeah, again, that was a. That was a. That event was a pretty. Uh, pretty that was an FX card. It was. It also didn't do a whole lot of. Traffic, it didn't do a whole... I mean, they only had a gate for that. And now bear in mind, if you want to do some inflation inflation adjustment for, you know, 2000... Excuse me, 12, fair enough. But 
they only did a gate of 329,000 for right. that event. And the attendance was... 6,000, 6.6? 6.6. So, so 6,600 compared to 12,700 for this. So that's, that's like a 6,000... Pe- and that's more than double the increase, I guess, if you take inflation into account. But that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I think they did a. I think they were more accommodating of walk-ups because you know Miami has a lot of mm-hmm. nightlife, has a lot of things you can kind of walk around to, go in and out of. Right. Well, you also have to figure. I mean, I mean, this wasn't a big card either. This was just not really a throwaway card, but it was like not really a you know a lot of big name talent other than Jacare. And arguably Greg Hardy, which is sort of due to his notoriety and being a former NFL player. So I think they put they also put a lot of uh, people with you know, local roots on this card. Because, well, I mean, again, you know, Mike Perry's from the area. The ESPN promotion hasn't been terrible either since the switch. So, no, they did. They did a pretty good job kind of. Getting getting the word out there like, about I this would say one. ESPN has done an above average job of promoting UFC. Not excellent, but above. I would say above average, and it and it. I think it has helped. I think if you average out what they've done, then yeah, it's been above average. I mean, again, when they really kind of settle down, they do they do a pretty good job of you know, promoting also, something. Other but than, other than Avengers, there wasn't a lot really going on this weekend in terms of events. I don't think. Well, certainly not in that geographic area. I mean, again, because you have the Stanley Cup that uh, – right. sorry, I can't remember if it's the actual finals, but the playoffs uh, in hockey are going on, but there's not a Florida team in that. There's they not a – season's well underway, but, I mean, you know, you're always you're always going to have sports or another, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other major event is, you know, the basketball, uh, the NBA finals – not finals, but, you know, the playoff series is going on, and but, there's, again, not a re- – not a my not a Florida team that's represented in that at all. Fine. I would say that's a good sign considering they haven't been to this area in almost seven years, and they can more than double the – almost double the attendance and more than double the game. That's – like, that's good overall. Yeah. I'd agree with that. It's it's a region that's grown, as far as you know, its desire for MMA as well. And because I mean, in 2012, ATT was still was definitely a team and still a team of note, but it's kind of grown. You had the Black Zillions come in, and the now you have like three other major MMA teams in the area. It's just, it's the sport itself within the region that has probably, grown. That probably helps too. So they probably have a following. A local following in the Florida area. Yeah. Because of the MMA presence. I'm sure it's like that in, in New Mexico and, you know, other parts of the country. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, again, there are different places in the country that have, that are more interested in the sport. I mean, that's true of all sports across yeah. the country. I mean, you know, the United States is a large place. All right. Uh, you're ma- this card, I want to talk very briefly about this. This card had a lot of changes to it. Um, the main event started as a completely different fight. The main event was initial, initially Paulo Costa and Yoel Romero. That wound up not happening. Costa withdrew. A, I believe that's going to wind up being uh, because of the retroactive suspension he just accepted that it came out this week. 
Uh, he got hit by a, with a six-month suspension from USADA for the use of an IV. We had like four fighters, I think, over this week come out and just and they just you know, USADA finally passed their ruling on the situation. We had like four of them accept uh, six retroactive six-month suspensions to the date of the, the date of their original infractions. And I, I believe Costa was one of those. His again, his was an, was the use of an IV, IV, not a not a uh, drug test failure. But he wound up pulling out, so we went with Romero versus Jacare in a rematch. Romero got pneumonia. Jack Hermanson stepped in on absurdly short notice to fill in. Uh, if you go, I mean, if you go further down the card, there were a lot of other fights. On, we talked a little bit about this last week. There were a fair number of fights on this card that started out life as something else, and we got what we got. Uh, so th this card overcame some pretty serious adversity in that respect. So, uh, you know, credit to ev you know, uh, credit to everyone for showing up, and you know, for uh, I mean, again, this was not a great night of fights, but eh, I'm not complaining about too much. Uh, in your main event, uh, Jack Hermanson defeated Jacare Souza via unanimous decision, 49-46, and then two 48-47s. I think either of those scores are fair. Uh, this is a this was a pretty big upset from you know, those of us who you know kind of pay attention to the sport. This was a pretty big upset numerically. Oh, God, I should have bet on Hermanson. I should have bet on Hermanson because it occurred to me like as they're walking to the cage. You know, Jacare is a pretty heavy favorite in a fight that, in a main event, where he's basically, where he says he's been promised a title shot if he wins. And historically, that's the moment when Jacare loses. And it sucks, but... Uh, Hermanson put together a really good fight. He stayed, for the first few rounds, he stayed very mobile. He threw a lot of very short punches, but kind of got inside the looping ones of Jacare. Uh, he, if he, if this fight was going to the ground, he was going to be the one on top. So, and I, I applaud the mentality there. He got Jacare down, spent the vast majority of round two in Jacare's guard on top of him, just working pretty diligently. I mean, the first round he rocked Jacare with strikes and then went for that seated arm triangle. Uh, and you know, that takes some stones, man, to try and to try and grab, you know, essentially a guillotine variant on Jacare, but he went for it, and I mean, Jacare defended correctly because he's freaking Jacare. But, you know, Hermanson came into this fight to win, and, again, he put together a very good game plan, just a lot of combination work, a lot of consistent pressure, uh, a lot of just, you know, very smart fight management from him, and Jacare just... You know, and you know, I don't want to say Jacare never didn't do anything because he did a lot of stuff. He landed some when Jacare went to the body. They he did some pretty serious damage, but Jacare never really seemed to find a comfortable rhythm for this fight. He never was able to really get on top of Hermanson in the grappling, which is where Jacare's always done his best work. And on the feet, it was just. A lot of praying for the the big power punch to really materialize, and while he, I mean he landed, but he never really, outside of a couple of minor flurries, he never found sustained success 
when it came to the striking. And Hermanson just, you know, kept plugging away, got got easily the biggest win of his career. This puts him very near the title picture. Uh, For fans of Jacare everywhere, this really sucks. This loss very likely means that Jacare's MMA career will come to an end without him ever even fighting for a UFC title, which is a damn shame, because there's been at least two different times when he should have been. But it it doesn't help. Let's just say that. I mean, again, crazier things have happened. I'm not saying absolutely. Yeah. Even though he squandered those opportunities twice over, it doesn't exactly let it doesn't exactly end end it forever. But it definitely hurts those chances. Yes, for sure. Oh no! Again, I, and I'm not saying de- I'm not saying definitively because again, crazier things. Yeah. But on the whole, like if you what asked me, to- thing became UFC champion. Whoever would have pre- who predicted that? Yeah, I know nobody. No one predicted that. Literally, no one. But you know, Bisbing scenario is also the one we cite because it is so improbable. I mean, there's a reason that when it happens like that, we talk exactly. about it because it's it just. This sport, Robert. This is a sport of upsets. It's a sport of improbability. In a lot of ways, yeah. I think, and that's partially what makes it so exciting. That yeah, that is a lot of what that that does contribute a lot to the excitement. I mean, again, watching Hermanson fight last night, that fight did not go at all the way I expected it to, but it was you know very engaging to see. Let's go. The game plan he put together. Mike Brown. Yeah, there were a lot of people who discounted Mike Brown. A lot of very silly people, but they existed. I mean, it even goes further than that. The number of people that thought Rich Franklin was going to run over Anderson Silva was pretty high. Well, but about this one, yeah. Well, it, Anderson Silva at the time was not quite yet the unbeatable monster. Let's say that. Okay, like you can only base this on the available knowledge. I'm not. But again, again, if we go back you know, throughout the history of the sport, our understanding of it has evolved as well as, you know, the techniques and the sport itself has evolved. So I'm not, I'm not completely discounting Jacare making another run at the title, but unfortunately, if we're going to just look at his, you know, his career recently, he's been trading wins and losses over his last six fights. He's got losses to Whitaker, Gastelum, and now Hermanson. And those are really good fighters. I mean, you know, Whitaker's the best middleweight in the world. Gastelum's, you know, probably the third or fourth best middleweight in the world. And but, he's against him. He's 39. Yeah, he's... This is, this is the point when a lot of guys um, are either winding down or they're, they've hung it up already. Yeah, and this is the kind of setback that has convinced a lot of people to go, you know what? I think that's it. I don't think I want to put my body through this anymore. And look, whatever he wants to do is fine. Like he, I mean, I don't think he, I'm not concerned about his well-being. I'm not calling for him to retire because I'm concerned about his, about, you know, how safe it is for him. But I mean, look, he, he didn't get obliterated last night. He didn't get taken apart. He, you know, he lost a tough, fairly competitive fight. Um, 
The problem is consistency. And when he first came into the UFC, you know, he was beating guys left and right. And he was beating guys who he, he had previous losses to, like uh, Gegard Mousasi. Um, the time for him to get his title shot was 2015. And they gave it to Luke Rockhold instead. And, you know, that's just kind of the problem. It's unfortunate, but what can you do? Yeah. I mean, he fought Robert Whitaker, who became champion. Robert Whitaker crushed him. Yeah. Whitaker, Whitaker put a hurt on him. That fight arguably could have put him in title contention. That one, uh, the, I mean, the first Romero fight, if he'd won that, he's probably in the title picture much clearer than, you know, he was. He lost to Gaston, who went on to, you know, fight, fight the interim time. Yeah. I mean, he's, it's always, it's kind of like Bisbing. It's kind of like Bisbing before he got the title shot. If you think about it. That's why I kind of cite the Bisbing example. Because Bisbing would all, he would get into those title eliminator fights and then he would lose them. He'd either get knocked out or he'd lose, or, he, or he'd lose by a hair. So, it's sad just because Jacare, to me, Jacare has been a legend in this sport, you know, in, in his submission game. It's just, it's just sad to see him always fall short, but. Unfortunately, this is this is part of the nature of the business. Some guys come close, but as close as they come, it's still a it might as well be a mile away. Yeah, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, and that does include MMA. But it was a it was a pretty decent main event, uh, you know, as far as the quality of the fight goes. Again, Hermanson did some interesting things. Jacare did some interesting things. Uh, I, Hermanson is very clearly like in the in the orbit of the title picture, but there's still some weirdness about that. Again, we have Whitaker and Adesanya, who are the most lo- that is the next logical fight for both parties. Right. We don't know when that fight can can happen. We've still got Gastelum floating around, and and Gastelum just put in you know a, his, that fight with Adesanya is he it, lost, but he lost so he did, but. Does this fight put Hermanson in the top five, you think? Because Jacare uh, was ranked number four. Jacare was ranked number four. Let me... I mean, it's a, I, need, I mean, I look, need, you can't undersell it. This is a huge win. It is. This is absolutely a huge win for him. I mean, oh, God. Okay, here. It uh, should no, because... Hang on. Losing streak going into this, so... It should put him into the top five in no small part because Luke Rockhold is still ranked for some reason. I mean... Yeah, I'd have Adesanya one. Right now they have Adesanya, Romero, Rockhold, Souza, Gastel, and Weidman. It's, it's hard for even me, for me to even quantify Yoel Romero as number two. For that matter. I mean, I can see oh, it, but... Who should have been in this fight. Yeah, Costa's at seven. Is is Costa, is Costa overrated, though? That's my concern. He hasn't um, had a lot of... Paulo Costa has not had a lot of major challenges, Robert. I mean, I think he's overrated only in the technical sense. 
Like he is, they, there is more being attributed to him than I feel he has earned personally. Okay, like here, here's my problem. He has picked up a solid group of wins in the UFC. Solid, yes, but top 10 worthy, I'm not certain. I'm sorry. At a, I mean, look, on my personal list going into this fight, at a minimum, I had Hermanson and Costa in opposite spots. So I would have had Hermanson closer to seven and, and Costa much further down. You see, to me, in no universe should wins over Johnny Hendricks and Uriah Hall make you a top 10 fighter. I'm sorry. No, I, I don't disagree. I mean, the only reason I would have had him ranked above guys like Brad Tavares is because of is because of like just current streaks. Because Tavares maybe has had a lot of up and downs. Light, maybe at heavyweight or light heavyweight, but not not middleweight. Middleweight's not that bad yet. No, no, middleweight's a ve- middleweight's a really solid division. Yeah. So Anderson Silva should not be ranked either. Come on, people. Anderson's not in the. I don't see him in the number fifteen. He's number 15. At least he's not in the top 10. At least true, but still. Yeah, I mean, this might have to move Hermanson up solidly into the top five. Because, look, he faced a top five opponent, and he beat him decisively. So I'm kind of surprised Jacare was ranked over Gaslam to begin with in this, because Gaslam beat him. I don't know. It was a close. Rankings are weird. Split decision, and... People see split decisions kind not like as draws, but almost as like sometimes as like a wash, you know? Yeah, which is a shame because that's well, it's not accurate. Well, Gaslam also just lost, and yeah. Gaslam also has a uh, he didn't get. I mean, Gaslam also has a loss to Wyden. So then again, rankings are far from perfect. No, no, I, I get it. Again, like I'm just I'm looking at the way they I'm looking at the the end result, and I'm just. Uh, it but my look, looks nothing Weidman, like how I would have like I this love out. Weidman, but I'm not. Weidman might be moving up in weight, correct? I think Rockhold is doing the same. Uh, Rockhold absolutely is. Uh, Rockhold should not be ranked. Well, at, at the moment. I mean, this is how they always do it when fighters move between weight classes. I, I know it's it's annoying. So Hermanson at a minimum is going to wind up between somewhere between ranks four and six. Somewhere in that range, he's he's probably gonna, is where he's probably going to wind up. Well, I mean, I like Hermanson. I'm just, I'm not sure if I see him making it to the title. I'm not, I'm not sold. I, if he, like, put him in there with a Yoel Romero. Let's see if he can beat Yoel Romero. Honestly, yeah, I'd be okay with that fight next. That would be. That's actually that's a relatively interesting fight given how both given the style that both men employ. Now, what do you make of this, Paulo? So it seems Romero was actually telling the truth when he said Paulo Costa had a USADA violation and then deleted it. However, it wasn't necessarily a banned substance, but it was a prohibited use of the IV. And look, IVs are banned unless you know you have a but my understanding is you can't use an, an IV unless it's basically a medical emergency. Is my understanding. I, I I don't know the specific circumstances around the IV issues. I that's just not something I know. I, I'd have to look up them up specifically. I imagine that you're probably correct. Like there are circumstances under which your son is not going to get mad at you. Infusion. This is straight from the USADA website. Okay. 
all IV infusions and or injections of more than 100 milliliters per 12-hour period are prohibited at all times, both in and out of competition, except for those legitimately received in the hospital, during surgery, or, or during clinical investigations. If it's okay. a prohibited substance that is administered intravenously or via injection, a TUE is necessary for this substance regardless of whether the infusion or injection is less than 100 milliliters. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, that, that's not the worst. That, I mean, that's not an unreasonable policy if you sought it to have, all things considered. And apparently but, he got the snitch, uh, he got the snitch uh, reduction that John yeah, did. Good for him. And hey, look, I got nothing against snitches. I think we need more snitches, quite frankly. Because it always annoys me when we have fighters talking about all these guys in the gym who are, who are doping, but they don't want to name names. Yeah, I'm... Like Mark Bochak. Oh, you have, I mean, if I might throw shade at the entirety of Team Alpha Male for just a minute. You all said as soon as you all threw a bunch of accusations at TJ Dillashaw in the public forum, none of you called USADA's tip line. Just saying. You have that, that is an available, and look, you saw anti-doping generally, uh, across you know internationally the number of people they catch with actual testing is a small percentage of the people they catch the vast majority of suspensions and and you know sanctions that they hand down are done because of investigative work as opposed to just purely testing of blood urine hair whatever and again if you knew that every single one of you had you saw his number and none of you chose to actually do anything about it and then pile on after the fact. Okay, here's what, here's, Cody Garbrandt said this a while back. Oh, yeah, on TJ Dillashaw. Oh, oh, yeah, the guy's on everything. He's on everything. You're the one that showed everyone how to do it on Team Alpha Male. No, again, that is one of the, bear in mind, that is one of the dumbest quotes ever in MMA, and that covers a lot of territory. Like, how... I mean, how dumb is Cody Garbrandt to say that out loud? Like, what? Hey, it's it's a very <laughs> bad quote. Don't get me again. I've laughed at that for years because it's hilarious. But this is—I I got this from Bloody Elbow. I think he said this at a press conference or something. He did. Oh yeah, he did. There, there's video clips of it. You can find it if you want to look. It's it's a thing. It's. And again, just it's, conde it, it's condemning Robert is what it is. Well, I mean, there's actually a worse one on Twitter when he mentioned specifically when TJ delayed their first rematch. I seem to recall he mentioned, "Yeah, you must be out of the. It must you must have taken too much EPO and it's affecting your brain." Like well, there, there, there was clearly a but there was. Since he admits he's basically admitting that Dillashaw was t telling guys on Team Alpha Male how to use PEDs. Yeah. That is that is the substance of what he says in that clip. Yes. Now, and again, my thing how is just can take that out of context. Like that's pretty, like that's pretty overt in my book. It is, but I also think that if you want to, again, if you're the guys at Team Alpha Male, it's one thing to say it publicly, like that. It's another thing entirely to actually call up Usada and provide specific information. 
I mean, it, you know, every fighter accuses their opponent at some point or another of being on something, right. it seems. You give the information to the authorities that have been brought in to do this or, in my opinion, shut up about right. it. Well, basically, Yoel Romero snitched on um, Paulo Costa first. Well, yeah, and I, I think a lot of people, when, when Romero mentioned that Costa had a USADA violation, a lot of people jumped to assume drug test failure, which was not accurate, and Costa's people disputed that. And fair enough, you know, this is, he has not been That's popped for a performance-enhancing drug. He's, you know, other people have had similar issues. Where What if, what if Paulo Costa is using EPO and they're not catching him? I don't know. What if he is? Well, I mean, because T.J. Dillashaw never had any, he never had any indiscretions until now. Yeah. For most of his career, he was seen as a clean athlete. Yes. So, it's hard for me to take anyone at their word. Well, look, I'm not saying, I'm not at all saying that Paulo Costa is... You know, definitively not on drugs or anything. I guess what I'm saying is I, I like Paulo Costa, but he doesn't necessarily pass the smell test. For those who attribute value to the eye test, yeah, man, look at just look at that man. <laughs> like, you don't get look at the size of his delts. Like, if you wish to, again, like if you he has the body of a comic book superhero, you know, yeah, again, again, depending on how much value you give the eye test. Yeah, that guy. That guy looks. I'm, I, I'm not accusing him of anything at all. But look, according to USADA, the eye test is, is a thing. There's value to the eye test. So. And Jeff Nowitzki was continuing to propagate the myth that a bunch of cyclists dropped dead from EPO use in the 90s, which has been thoroughly discredited. I mean, that. I mean, how do you know that's not true? It's been thoroughly discredited by at least four different academic sources. I mean, I mean, Robert, once you did say the thing that John Jones failed a drug test for was like not hasn't been used since like the 60s. And then it was apparently prevalent much uh, later than that. No, I was no, I was mistaken on that. Okay. In in this instance, my in this. Oh, God damn it. I had these written down and then I deleted them because I expected this conversation like three months ago. (laughs) Okay, no, no, I can tell you where I got it. Now, I'm not at. Let me be clear about this. I'm not necessarily. You can find this on YouTube and I'm not saying you have to agree with Luke Thomas on this, but he cites the sources that I read. So if you want to know my the sources I am citing when it comes to discrediting this massive EPO it was causing cyclists to drop dead at a rate of like one in 10. Uh, You can just look it up on YouTube. It's like Luke Thomas, let's talk about EPO. And he cites three different academic peer reviewed studies that tackled those claims, all of which found them to be, I believe the exact phrase was academic urban legend rather than sustained fact. Okay. But you know, scientific studies can be wrong. How much paranoia are we willing to inject into this? I'm just saying. I, I, fair enough. I'm asking. I'm asking the question: I mean, How much paranoia I mean, are we going to inject I mean, into the look, discussion? I've seen. I've seen. I've seen evidence from scientific studies that can pretty much cite all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that's what. And again, if it was just one, I wouldn't give it as much credence. Here we have again several of them. Okay. And again, and let me be clear: if you inject like you know a a ton of EPO into your system, yeah, it can kill you. 
I'm no, not, I mean, any it, drug can. Steroids. Well, again, any drug used inappropriately has serious negative health consequences. That's that that's a given. I mean, you can take too much over-the-counter aspirin and kill yourself. So okay. Well, uh, again, anyway. again, if if eh. look, look, the rules state you can't use these things. So. Oh no, no, no. Uh, again, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a disagreement with the IV thing. I, my, my, I, mean, look, I mean, look, some star, some story. I, I mean, Robert, let's be a little more. Let's be a little more eloquent here. Steroids are far more some star like designer steroids. I think you would have to agree are a little more dangerous than over the counter uh, aspirin. Um, I'm not familiar enough with with you know made to order steroids. For the purposes of discussion, I imagine that yeah, that's probably true. Okay. I mean, no, you don't want to like pill pop aspirins and take more than the recommended dose oh yeah again you will kill yourself that's not a joke right right. too much aspirin thins out your blood too much but what's described as steroids and performance enhancing drugs can also cause long-term damage to your body you know your ligament you know your ligaments your muscles your heart all those things that i don't think as like taking an aspirin for two a day is going to do or an Advil, but no. All right. Yeah, and I, again, I don't disagree with that. I'm. My, I suppose my point there is there was a lot of hysteria that ge- that was generated around EPO that that people within USADA are now touting is still being I can relevant. That. I can believe that, and I like Paulo Costa, but his physique is a little. All I'm going to say is his physique is a little suspicious to me. And I uh, love Sage Northcutt. I like him too. I mean. I don't know. And uh, I, I mean, look, I've said this before. There is no one in the entire sport of MMA who could fail a drug test tomorrow that would surprise me at this point. So okay. Uh, the actual uh, sorry that got sidetracked because I think I mentioned that it, it, as as far as cost, his representatives denied that he had failed a drug test, which was true. He did not fail a drug test. He did have an issue with USADA, and there are a few other people who have had issues like this that are not PED related, but well, that are not drug test related, but are some kind of pre- uh, like procedurally related. A little while back, a few years ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kutalaba had the thing where he was, uh, where they didn't like him being in an altitude tent kind of scenario. There was some stuff related to that, so. That's a little, biz- that's a little bizarre. Uh, it was stuff related to his like kind of uh, some kind of like ozone therapy. I think it was it was a thing. It's again, USADA does more than again. There's more than just this these drugs. There's you know again, there's other things that they don't like you doing. Costa did something they didn't like him doing. Now, I remember he once I saw King Mo using oxygen canisters back in Strike Force, and people were all up in arms about that. Yeah, people are weird. I don't think they were illegal where he was using them. But. Yeah, and again, if it's not against the rules, sorry guys, you get to shut up and just kind of right. deal with the fact that people look for competitive this, advantages. Uh, what what else is worth looking at for this card? Well, your co-main event. Greg uh, Hardy. I was wrong about Greg Hardy. 
Greg Hardy defeats Dmitry Smolyakov via TKO, two minutes, 15 seconds of the first round. This fight sucked. Look, the UFC brought Greg Hardy in for a bit of notoriety, for a bit of name value on ESPN. I mean, look, Greg Hardy should not A, be in the UFC, B, should certainly not be in a co-main event situation based on merit. Twice. Now, yeah, this is his second co-main event. But he won. Yeah, look, Dmitry Smolyakov should not be in the UFC either. Did he you was hear in what Dana White said about the fight at the press conference? <laughs> he kind of crapped on it, yeah. Like, what did he expect? I don't know. I don't know what goes on in Dana White's head. We, we don't do setup fights for anyone. If I was a fan and, and probably some of the media, the way some of the media acts, I would think that was, I don't know who the F that guy beaten nine fights, but I'd like to find out the nine guys he beat. That was weird. Look, okay. I mean, Dana, well, look, Dana but, pretending that you don't do setup fights is absolute nonsense. But I you mean, just what, don't do it regularly, but you do it. But I mean, what is he trying, like, like, why even say that out loud? I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't get what Dana was going for there. I really don't. Like, like, Okay, you're saying Dmitry Smolyakov doesn't belong in the UFC. Then, I mean, then why did you put him in the co-main event? I mean, I mean, not on, not, hang on. Not only that, why'd you bring him back? He was in the UFC before. He went 0 and 2. Was finished twice, and one, on one of those occasions, he was finished by Cyril Asker. Because I mean, look, I mean, he signed. Dana White has to sign off on the match lineups, right? To some degree. I don't know actually how the structure of that works. I mean, does he have no power on how a fight gets how a fight card gets structured? I I genuinely don't know. I mean, <laughs> at the I, very least, I imagine it's I imagine if he wants okay. it, he has to say, but I don't think he always wants it. But at the very least, is he not basically throwing his matchmakers under the bus here? Little bit, little bit. <laughs> it just seems a little. It just seems a little weird compared to. And, and this is and this is Dana White we're talking about. It just seems a little weird to voice this verbally at a press comp- conference to the media, especially, you know, the la- the first fight for Greg Hardy. He was he was singing his praises. And he went so, to the mat fighting against the every uh, fighting against every bit of criticism yeah, like that was pointed at that. Way. He went out of his way to gloss up Greg Hardy, and now he was almost dismissive. So. And look, Dana White's not the owner anymore. He he probably does not have the power he did ten years ago. I think I would I within the within the UFC's organizational structure. That's probably true. Right. So I he do, I imagine he doesn't get final say and sign off as much as he did some years back. So I don't know. Just see, even then, it seems it seems it. It doesn't seem prudent to mention this, but that's just my opinion. I don't disagree with you. Um, again, Smolyakov shouldn't be in the UFC. Greg Hardy shouldn't be in the UFC. And let me be clear about something. Uh, that's not a personal judgment on Greg Hardy for, when I say this. I just don't think he is a UFC caliber fighter. Right, I agree. But mission accomplished. Get, he's got his first UFC win, and they're going to keep him around. So... And next, he can be in the co-main event again, and he can take on... Derek Lewis. No, they won't give him Lewis. Stephen Struve. 
They will not give him Stefan Struve. Steep Miocic. They will not give him Steep Miocic. I need just the roster for the UFC. Hang on. Okay, filters. Why do you only give me one? How about you just let me search by weight class? That is the most annoying thing ever, UFC website. Okay, somebody mentioned Juan Adams. Okay. Uh, Andre Arlovsky. Ah, uh, that's... <laughs> I mean, that's... It po- seems uh, like a recipe for disaster, especially after last night. I would... Okay, here we go. Hang on. There's my There's my further... It's my divisional thing. Okay, hang on. I, need, I just needed to find, like, the crappiest Arlovsky's still ranked. That will probably go away after this fight. You would think. Okay, okay. Things are yeah. so wacky. That that guy who lost that most recent season of the Ultimate Fighter heavyweights, uh, Justin Frazier, is a possibility. Um... I'm looking for just any heavyweight who has, like, a losing UFC record, because you know that's what the UFC is going to try and do. I, w- I wish Arlovsky would just retire. Just figure no, something Rosenstrike out. Rosenstrike, one. Uh, uh, so, yeah, look, they're going to keep doing this with Greg Hardy. They're going to give him very, very winnable fights and high-profile stuff on ESPN, because ESPN likes the synergy with a, of a former football player and the UFC audience. I don't, I don't know. And look, again, I... I Greg uh, Hardy got the bulk of the coverage for the first ESPN card, basically. Well, yeah. Yeah, he did. What would you say? Was Mike Perry uh, versus Alex Oliveira fighting the night for you? No. What do you think of Perry versus Oliveira? It was what it was supposed to be. It was a bunch of stupid, violent fun. Um, and I don't say that dismissively. I it was. I mean, it was what it was. It was two guys who went out there, who hit each other very hard, who danced around, who had some laughs, who did some stupid stuff. I mean, I was part of a couple of different Twitter threads on this that just, you know what, if you're going to have a fight in Florida... Mike Perry versus Alex Oliveira is for, like, the Florida Man title, which was presented in the bathroom 28 minutes after the fight by a naked guy high on bath salts. Because, I mean, these two guys, and again, they do things that are unbelievably difficult from a physical perspective and from a mental perspective, and I'm not trying to be dismissive of that. But these are two two of the wildest fighters. He's going to punch himself out of the sport in the next few years. He keeps this up. (laughs) yeah it's i mean these two had a dance off when alex Oliveira was walking out it's it's just these are the these are two of the crazier guys that went out there and had an appropriately crazy fight and you know god bless them for it i it did its job again it was exactly what it was supposed to be from where i sat and fair play to all participants you delivered what you were supposed to deliver I will forget about this fight in another like three and a half days, but for the for what it was, I have no issues with it. All right. What do you think of Glover Teixeira getting off? Oh, Glover. Over Young Utalaba. Glover Teixeira doesn't play around, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I Glover's one of those old war horses that just keeps chugging along, and 
He overcame some t- a couple of tough spots in the first round. Kutalaba cracked him pretty good, but Kutalaba doesn't fight very well over prolonged periods of time. The vast majority of what he does is accomplished within the first two rounds. He's only been to the third round three times, and he is one and two in fights that go out of the second round. Uh, he was submitted by Misha Serkinov, and he lost a decision to Jared Cannonier. I also think Glover's grappling game is very underrated. Depending on what segments of the fan base you talk to. I mean, I'm a, I was always of the opinion that his grappling was better than his striking. He just got by on his striking because it was heavy. It's not very, it's not very intricate or very refined. His I mean, grappling game, by contrast, is relatively sophisticated. I think considering how far he's gotten in the UFC... You know, his grappling has been quite, you know, he's he's done very well for himself. I think the vast, I think when he came in, light heavyweight was basically a division of wrestlers. Yeah. Certainly at the top. Because back then you had Phil Davis, Ryan Bader, John Jones, Rashad Evans when he came in. And Rampage to a lesser extent. Yeah. Uh, Glover's, he's still out there. He's still plugging along. And, you know, there were a lot of that. There was a lot, fair bit of that on this card. You had the old man, the old man just kind of pulling it out. And Teixeira was one of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to think Teixeira doesn't have too many fights left at 39 years old, but he's still staying fairly competitive. I mean, it's not just 39. It's 39 with 40-some-odd fights. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, He's almost at 40. He's at 36 fights. Yep. He's uh, The man's got years and miles. I mean, he debuted in 2002. I hadn't even graduated high school when this guy debuted professionally. He's competing in grappling overseas. You know, he's done a lot in combat sports. And, you know, he's on a two-fight winning streak now. It's his first winning streak since 2016. You know, good on him, man. I, I don't see him getting back really into the title discussion, but... You never know. Someone, if if Johnny Walker can upset... If someone can upset John Jones... That's true. Or if John decides... Or if John decides to do something stupid outside the cage, or John decides to move up to heavyweight, or... I mean, there's, there's a lot of variables. But... Yeah, you know, again, Glover just turning back the young, powerful up and comer, and Glover's a tough roadblock, man, especially That's in that division. Another big upset last night: Corey Sanhagen beat uh, John Lineker by split decision. How do you how do you feel? Do you think Sanhagen earned that win? Yeah, I'm okay with. I was okay with 29-28 for either guy. I think that was perfectly defensible. I'm. I w- when they got done with the third round of this fight, I genuinely went, it's a shame they don't have two more because I wanted to see how that fight would have developed over another couple of rounds. This was my fight of the night. Uh, you got to see both guys doing what they do very uh, to de- with degrees of success, with degrees of overcoming difficulty. Lineker did a lot of his you know hooks to the body and head, a lot of his pressure, a lot of his power. He landed a fair bit, especially to the body. You got to see Sandhagen use appropriate footwork. You know, never let Lineker really corral him against the fence for a prolonged period of time. Keep a constant pace of just jabs at distance, leg kicks, upsetting Lineker's timing, upsetting his rhythm. Uh, yeah, this was absolutely my fight of the night. I had a lot of fun with this. Both guys 
I know Lineker lost, and by definition, his stock goes down a little bit, but I think both guys acquitted themselves very, very well. I, I had a lot of fun watching this fight, and it's nice to see... You know, I mean, Corey Sandhagen's a guy that, when he debuted, I thought had some tools that, if properly refined, could make him a force in the division. Here he is beating John Lineker, and we mentioned last week, Beating John Lineker is not something that happens very often. Uh, Sandhagen was technically unranked coming into this fight, but I mean he's eleven and one as a professional. He's four and zero oh in the UFC, uh, with three of those being finishes, and he just beat the number nine guy in the number nine ranked contender, I believe. Uh, and credit to Corey Sandhagen, man, that he has some very serious abilities that make him a very tough opponent for a lot of that division. He moves well. He keeps a good pace. He can wrestle. He can strike. He can kick. Uh, it's he, He's a handful. He's absolutely a handful. I mean, he presented problems that John Lineker couldn't reliably solve. Now, again, if you score that fight for Lineker, I don't necessarily disagree, but I, th- I think even if you did score it for him, it was not a blowout victory on his part. I, I had a lot of fun with this fight. It's one I'm going to wind up rewatching a couple of times, uh, just because I enjoy seeing you know what was successful from both guys, why it was successful, and how they built off of it. So uh, I like that fight. That was a good fight. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts kicking off the main card defeated. Sorry, do you have anything on this one? No, I think you covered it pretty well. All right, uh, Roosevelt Roberts and Thomas Gifford. Roberts won a unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Um, pretty, nah, kind of your relatively generic MMA fight where one guy is just a couple of levels above the other one. Uh, Gifford, you know, I give Gifford credit for his toughness because he ate some pretty serious combinations that would have put down a lot of other people, but the UFC's pretty high on Roberts and they're trying to bring him along. And again, I don't hate that mentality if you're dealing when you're dealing with these you know, more inexperienced fighters. And Gifford wasn't. I mean, Gifford was uh, the more experienced competitor. He was like 17 and seven, I think. It's it's a, again, this wasn't a gimme, but with some of these younger or less experienced fighters, the UFC does go a little bit out of their way to make sure they fight appropriate levels of opposition and. I don't necessarily dislike that. So, Jeff, what did you think about this one? What, what What's up with Roberts? Is is the UFC really going to be able to turn him into a star, or is he gonna or is he gonna flame out at some point? I'm a little TBA on this one. Okay. I want to see a couple more fights before I make that determination. Eh, fair enough. I mean, he's only fought twice in the UFC, so that's uh, that's perfectly acceptable. All right, as for the prelims, Takashi Sato defeated Ben Saunders via TKO. Punches and elbows in the second round. This was a pretty brutal finishing sequence from Sato. Uh, landed a good straight left, I believe. Dropped Saunders and then just with elbows from the guard, just smashed him. Uh, good stuff from Sato, who's... For those of us who catch Pancrase on occasion, uh, and I do on occasion, uh, dude's been doing some good work over in that promotion. So, uh, 
good win for him. I mean, Ben Saunders in 2019, rather, is not exactly the cream of the crop, but this was a good introduction to him for people who hadn't seen him before. Augusto Sakai defeated Andre Arlovsky via split decision. This fight sucked. I think I scored it a draw. Carla Esparza defeated Vima Janjiroba via unanimous decision, 130-27-29-28. I mean, this was your basic Carla Esparza fight. It existed. Um, I I do want to say this as a credit to both of these women. There were a lot of grappling exchanges, and neither of them did that crappy headlock throw. So thank you to both of you for not doing that, for finding other more interesting ways of attacking each other from a grappling perspective. Uh, Seriously, thank you. Uh, Gilbert Burns submitted Mike Davis with a rear naked choke in the second round. Gilbert Burns was just better everywhere. Uh, This was supposed to be Burns and somebody else. Uh, Davis looked like a guy stepping in on short notice, and that's exactly what he was. Uh, Speaking of the old war horses, Jim Miller, baby, submits Jason Gonzalez via rear naked choke in the first round. Uh, Jim Miller is your all-time leader in UFC appearances. He uh, This was his 32nd fight in the UFC. He now has the most submission wins in UFC lightweight history. Uh, this one put him over the top of guys like Nate Diaz, Joe Lozon, and Charles Oliveira. He has the most wins in UFC lightweight history at the moment. And I believe he has the second most finishes in lightweight history of any variety behind only Joe Lozon, who has like 12. This was Miller's 11th. Um, I mean, Miller himself said after this fight, I don't know how many more I have in me, but I'm going to keep going until I decide I don't. And, you know, credit to him. He needed the win. And he got it. So, you know, hats off to him. I've, I've got some sentimental attachment to Jim Miller. So nice to see him win. Angela Hill defeated Jody Escabel via unanimous decision. 230-27s, 129-28. This was... Uh, I don't know. I mean, it existed. Um, this was probably one of Hill's better fights in the UFC in terms of her performance. Uh, she kept a pretty decent pace. She fought long. The fact that Jody Escabel is probably not really a UFC caliber fighter contributed to that. And kicking everything off, Diego Lima defeated Court McGee via split decision. There was one 29-28 for McGee, a 30-27, and then a 29-28 for Lima. I don't think 30-27 for Lima is correct, but I did have him winning. Uh, The fight was just kind of there. Diego Lima's a big welterweight. Uh, That guy's uh, very tall for that division. So all in all, again, not the worst night of fights. Uh, so, Jeff, from the prelims, anything good, bad, or indifferent you wanted to touch on? Um, Jim Miller's submission, much-needed win for him, was good. Uh, feel for Ben Saunders, but that was an impressive win by Takashi Sato. And a good win for Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is an underrated opponent, man. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, he, he has a few losses, but, I mean... He's a he's a tough he's a tough I would say high level gatekeeper type you know maybe yeah he's a good fighter yeah Burns is perpetually underappreciated I agree with that 
Hi. Uh, thanks to everyone who followed along with my coverage. Be that live or after the fact, I know not the most exciting event in the world, but thank you very much for following along anyway. I know that in particular, at least at least two of you were completely off put by Sakai and Arlovsky, and I can't really blame you for that. All right. This coming Saturday, we will have UFC Fight Night 151. Ah, wrong button. Uh, slash UFC on ESPN plus nine. Again, they're back in Ottawa for the first time since 16, I think. Yeah, Thompson McDonald was contested in Ottawa. That was an odd fight night. Uh, that was not a night. That was an odd night of fights. Uh, the main event, this, this is a good main event, actually. We have Ally Aquinta, who is coming off of that win over um, Kevin Lee. I mean, Ally Aquinta... I mean, yeah, he should have lost the Masvidal fight, but really he only has one loss in his last seven fights, and that was to Khabib. Again, I thought he lost the Masvidal fight, but I can only talk about what's officially happened. Uh, and he's fighting Donald Cerrone. Now, I don't think the winner of this fight is necessarily your next title challenger, but they're definitely very, very close. Keep in mind, after the Khabib fight, no, not after Habib, but, you know, he's had a lot of inactivity. Yeah. My problem with Ayakinta. Oh, yeah. He, he had that major dispute with the UFC, and he was off for, like, two years. Uh, Cerrone's on a two-fight winning streak. He won his return back when he returned to lightweight in January of this year, so just a few months ago, and he defeated Alex Hernandez. Uh, again, this is I kind of like this fight. It's it's going to be on. Tougher Cerrone, too. It is in a couple of respects. Ally Quinta doesn't do a whole lot, but he what he does, he does relatively well. He has a very low stance, a very wide stance. Good wrestling, good grappling. He has uh, he has very good defense from from a lot of conventional positions. Like it, getting on his back uh, is not a guarantee of a finish. I mean, Kevin Lee has a very good back mount. Khabib has a very good back mount, and he was able to defend himself from that position against both of them. He really had Kevin Lee flustered a lot in that fight. Oh, a lot. Uh, I was I was a little surprised, quite frankly, at how at Kevin Lee's inability to adapt to what Al was doing. Uh, Al's stance is very much designed to stop a double leg, uh, but his the way he stands, his lead leg is very vulnerable to both leg kicks and a snatch single leg situation. But for some reason, not a lot of guys really try that against him. Uh, but he throw he has power in his hands, and he throws his right straight is actually kind of straight, whereas most guys you loop that punch. He throws it pretty straight, and he's got again he's got power. Uh, on the other hand, again Cerrone, I mean the book is very pretty well written on what both of these guys do. At this point, it's just a question of kind of how they match up in a few specific areas. Um, I'm torn on this one because I can see how both guys win. I'm going to lean towards Cerrone. This is probably the kiss of death because frequently when I pick Cerrone, he just loses. <laughs> happened, but, to me, happened to me too. Yeah, I, I'm going to lean a bit towards Cowboy here. I think he fights smart. I think he keeps this fight longer. I think if Al comes out with a lot of time spent in that really kind of hunched over wide stance, Cerrone can pick at his lead leg. And if Cerrone sets that up appropriately, 
uh, it, it'll do a lot of good work for him. And, you know, the way Al bends over does leave him a little bit more vulnerable to the switch kick to the head. And Cowboy loves that kick. So I can see Al very, I can see Al timing a kick, especially early when Cerrone's not really setting his stuff up and just you know, blasting Cerrone with a straight right that really kind of gets him off his game, if not finishes him. But I, 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 I'm leaning towards Cowboy here. Again, I don't think he's ever really going to get that title. But He'll get I, close, but I don't think he'll get the title. Yeah, I mean, again, I I'm wouldn't... Picking hmm? I'm picking Ayakinta. I'm picking Ayakinta. All right. I just think he has the tools that will take Cerrone out of his comfort zone and off of his game. And you know how big of a fan I am of Cerrone, right? I do. You know how much I love Donald Cerrone. I do. But you also know I'm a pragmatist and I'm a realist. And it's hard. And Cerrone has flaws that are hard to ignore sometimes. So. I want to pick Cerrone, but I, I just see Ally Kenta just out-techniquing him and just doing things that will give him the victory. All right. I, I don't disagree. Again, I can see I can see Iaquinta winning this fight. It's it's a tough fight in that respect. Your curl main event. I don't want to see Theodoro complaining again because they're giving him a big... This is a big fight they're giving him. Look, I think this fight is going to suck. Um, I think this this fight is tailor-made for De- Derek Brunson. Elias Theodore is on a three-fight winning streak, and I defy anyone to remember any of them. <laughs> I, I mean, remember he, got a ve- he was in an awful fight with Eric Anders. That was his most recent one. Prior to that, he had decision wins over Trevor Smith and Dan Kelly. I remember the Dan Kelly fight was not good. That was, like, I mean... Like, I was fine with him winning it, but it was not a good fight. It it really wasn't. He lost to Brad Tavares. I mean, I mean, I mean, he's put together a decent record. When he you look he he has recently, but his game is also he has eight. He's eight and two in the UFC. Yeah, he find he has had a fair amount of success. His game is also unbelievably annoying to watch. It's he's not, he's not the most exciting fighter. I agree. I mean, and I don't even necessarily need excitement so long as I can find something to engage with a fighter. Like, the way the, these two match up, I feel like if Brunson wins, he should probably be cut. Because I feel like this is this is not like an eat. I don't think this is a gimme fight for him, but I feel like this is a fight where if he does what he needs to do, he should dominate and win this fight, I believe. Depending on how he approaches it, yeah, because, I mean, Brunson is on a two-fight losing streak. He's been finished in both of those fights. He was finished by Jacare. He was finished by Israel Adesanya. Top five, guy, top five guys. Top five opponents. Yeah. I mean, again, not nobodies, but... But... If he does his old run-at-you-with-my-chin-out routine... Um, well, he's not fighting a guy who's known for his one-hit knockout power. No, I mean... Look, Theodore's punching is terrible. The vast majority of his success comes from either his kicking game or his ability to control fights in the clinch or get on get into top position and just maintain it. Uh, he's not a very good striker. But they're giving they're giving him a big step up in competition, so Yeah, and 
Derek Brunson is rapidly kind of approaching. Arguably, he's er- Theodore has earned that, but I, I don't think he's going to be able to capitalize and make the most of it. Look, if Theodore wins, it'll be via terrible split decision and okay. a fight no one wants to remember. Okay. And if Brunson wins, there's a 50-50 chance it's either a quick knockout or a terrible split decision that no one wants to remember. I, I have zero hope for the... I, not zero. I have very, very low expectations for this fight. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he hasn't. I'm just saying the way these two match up... Okay. I mean, look, when, when Brunson fought Jockery, I... I was I had some expectations for that fight. I thought it would be a good, competitive, interesting fight, and it largely was. I was interested in what he was going to bring to the table against Adesanya, what Adesanya was going to bring to the table against him. It's just this matchup. I'm not trying to crap on Derek Brunson here, but this matchup just does nothing for me as a fan. Uh, what does do something for me as a fan, though, is Cub Swanson versus Shane Burgos. <laughs> Uh, I'm really looking forward to this, actually. These two are predominantly strikers, uh, predominantly movement-based, so they're not just flat-footed. I mean, Burgos is a bit more traditionalist as far as like a Thai style of boxing, whereas Swanson does a lot more of the kind of the lateral stuff, but they're both mobile fighters. This could be a fun fight. Yeah, they both hit very hard. They both kick very hard. Uh, they both keep a de- they both keep a pretty decent pace throughout the entirety of a fight. I am really looking forward to this one. Unfortunately, the big mark against Swanson is he's going into this fight on a three fight losing streak. That is a problem. And granted, he's going in against you know Shane Burgos, having had lost to let's see some very good opponents, big names. Oh. Oh, yeah. I mean, Swanson, the, those losses are to Moicano, Edgar, and Ortega. So it, it, we're talking about very, very high-level opposition. But a three-fight losing streak is still a three-fight losing streak. But, you know, you know, Swan, Swanson is in a situation. He's sort of like in a must-win situation. Even though he's lost to top contenders, he need, you know, he needs to win to stay, you know, to keep his name in the mix. Yeah. Not necessarily that he'll be cut with a, you know, because he – because those are such high-level losses, but just saying. I think he wins this fight. Uh, I think he's got enough left in the tank to kind of fluster Burgos. But I mean, I, is... I like Swanson, but he's a longtime veteran at this point, and he's got a lot of miles on him. And that's going to catch up to him eventually, and it could it could catch up to him here. Burgos is a tough guy. Right. Uh, it's a very tough out, but... Uh, again, I like Swanson here, but this is the fight on the main card I'm looking forward yeah. to. I'm going to go ahead and pick Swan, uh, Swanson as well, but I, I think it is a tough matchup, you know? Uh, I don't know why this next fight is on the main card. Um, Brad Katona versus Marab Dwalishvili. Um, he's Georgian, the country of Georgia, not the state in the United States. And the DV, get I think their Vs are pronounced like Ws there, so I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, but I think that's how it goes. Um, is it Dvali- a camp thing? Uh, it's got to be a oh, it's a Katona thing. That's why he that's why he's in this spot. Brad Katona is eight and zero. Um, he won his season of the Ultimate Fighter, and he won his first fight off of the season off of the Ultimate Fighter when he beat Matthew Lopez. Okay. And he's Canadian. He's from. Yeah. Is he actually from Ottawa? I think 
his profile says um I was born yeah, in Winnipeg. Yeah, he is Canadian. I know he's Canadian. Uh, okay, he's born. So he's it's from Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Yeah, and he fights out of Ireland. But yeah, you know, a, a Canadian on the main card. He might be the only Canadian on the main card, actually. Now that I look at it, jeez. I mean, Theodore. Okay, Theodore is Canadian, but right. yeah, there's not a lot of them. Um, and. Again, Dwallis really is eight and four as a professional. Again, just got his first win in the UFC. This is pretty much a gimme win for Katona. And they're trying to give him a gimme win, but we'll they're see. giving him a fight that he, you know, by all logic should win. Um, Dwallis really just keeps a decent pace, but he's not a very dangerous fighter. Uh, he does a lot of crazy stuff, but Katona's a very fundamentally sound guy. I expect Katona to win this. And we are having our boom heavyweights fight of the evening. Walt Harris is back. Is that still on? Because Harris is one of those guys who got hit with a retro with a with one of those uh, suspensions from oh. USADA. Uh, it it might be that his that his retroactive suspension is expired prior to this fight, so there's no issue there. But uh, he is fighting. Let's assume he's fighting. Okay. For the sake of discussion. Because, yeah, I think he got hit with, it might have been Osterine. There were a few guys that did and just got retroactive six-month suspensions. Uh, Bloody Elbow reported that he's still eligible to fight for this card. Okay. For whatever reason. Fair enough. There's a lot of ways they could have finagled that. Fair enough. Um, Harris is coming off of that no contest with Arlovsky. He failed a drug test. Oh, oh, oh. uh, With uh, Walt Harris, they said... His 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 failed drug test was due to a contaminated supplement, so it reduced his sanction. So okay. Take it for what it's worth. Yeah, for whatever value you guys want to assign to that, fair enough. I mean, and again, the USADA protocol for proving a tainted supplement is not just taking the fighter at their word; they actually do independently confirm that. So. So yeah, that fight is still happening. Okay, and again, he's coming off of that law, the no contest with Arlovsky. Originally, he won, but he failed a drug test related to that. Walt Harris has been in the UFC since 2013, so over five years. Yep. Yes, he has. And I've seen, I believe, all of his fights. God help me. Yeah, I guess, you know, heavyweight is just so destitute. You need a guy, you need a, you need a body... You need to keep a body like Walt Harris around because you know you're going to need Heavy, it. Yeah, heavyweight just doesn't seem to have the turnover of other divisions. You know, there's not a lot of heavyweights coming into the UFC, especially relative to other divisions. Anyway, he's fighting Sergey Spivak, who is Ukrainian, undefeated at nine and zero. This is his UFC debut. Easy win for Walt Harris, you think? I don't know. Um, actually, hang on. Let me. I need to see what promotion. Not good. He's not what I would call a good fighter. Um, the majority of Spivak's fights have taken place in WWFC. Yeah, I mean, look. The reality is that if you get into parts of the Russian regional MMA scene, they're very tough. There's a lot of very good fighters in that part of the world. Um, I'm not, I'm going to have to do some, I'm going to have to look up a little bit of this guy, 
at some point in the future and make a better determination. I just haven't been impressed with too many Russian heavyweights other than Fedor. Maybe uh, does Arlovsky? Ar- Arlovsky's from Belarus. He's Belarus. And and this guy's Ukrainian. So if you want to draw a distinction at the Russian border, then. All right, so I'm not. You know what? Screw it. I'm gonna go with Spiv. I'm gonna go with old Sergey here. Um, I I can't pick Walt I mean, Harris I, at this I point. I can't really fault that because you I know. mean it's Walt Harris, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, that's our heavyweight fight for the main card. There's another one on the prelims because the UFC hates me. Um, kicking off the main card, we have. Andrew Sanchez, who is watching Andrew Sanchez fights are hilarious to me just because for some reason commentary is always like exactly wrong about them. They just talk nonstop about how great his cardio is. And as he's gassing midway through the second round, they talk about elements of his striking as he's throwing just the worst punches imaginable from his chest. You know who that reminds me of? Who? John Volante. Yep. Yeah, okay, that's it. Andrew Sanchez, middleweight John Volante. I'm running with it. I like that. Uh, he is coming off of a win over Marcus Perez Eichenberg. Uh, boy, they went out of their way to give him a gimme after he lost to Anthony Smith and Ryan James. Uh, here they're, he is fighting Marc-Andre uh, Barrio. I'm going to assume that he is that that's how that's pronounced, given that he is Canadian. And my French is a little bit rusty, but I believe Barry Alt would be correct. He is 11 and one. He is on a pretty significant winning streak, actually. Nine fights. Eight, eight fights. Um, I mean, I'm torn here because I can't. Again, like I, I struggle to pick against Andrew Sanchez in the dark and I don't know anything about his opponent. But I've seen enough of Sanchez's limitations to kind of make me go, you know, <laughs> I might pick a debutante against him. Um, I'm going to feel stupid. I am going to go with Sanchez here, and I'm prepared to look stupid. But uh, I-, I will be rooting for Burial because, again, Andrew Sanchez is just deeply frustrating for me to watch. Uh, do you have anything on that one, Jeff? Nope. All right. On the prelims, here's where we have all the Canadians. Just forever. Uh, Macy Shreson will fight Sarah Morris. Um, I believe Morris is our Canadian representative here. Yes. Uh, unfortunately for Morris, she's like one in three in the UFC. And Macy Shreson is... I don't want to say like you know a future contender or anything but she has a very very obvious upside as a fighter and i think she's going to steamroll sarah morris here um ayman zahabi is back after that brutal knockout in november of 2017 he got hit with that spinning back elbow to the jaw that, that was a scary knockout man that was that was gnarly but he's back and he is fighting vince morales has Vince Morales fought in the UFC? Uh, yes, he lost to Song Yudong. I think I vaguely remember that fight, actually. 
Um, that'll probably go to Zahabi. There's, it seems like they're giving him a winnable fight. Nordin Taleb will fight C.R. Bahadur Zada. You know, that actually might break down into a fun fight. Um, Taleb's on a two-fight losing streak. He was submitted by Claudio Silva. He was TKO'd by Hannibal Strickland. Excuse me. Claudio Silva's nickname is Hannibal. He was TKO'd by Sean Strickland. Different fighter entirely. Um, and C.R. Bahadur Zada is coming off of a loss to Curtis Millinder. Again, this one, that one has some hidden Taleb potential. is not fighting uh, Bahadur Zada anymore. Oh, when did that change? Uh, today. Ah, that sucks. Who's he fighting now? Or have they announced it? Repolek. Repolek. Where's he from? Canadian? Okay, he's 12 and 5. Oh, I I, Windsor. You know what? This is what I get for looking at a prelim fight and going, you know, that might actually be pretty good. No, no, I'm just wasting my time. That that was a good matchup, actually. It's too bad. uh, Prepolek is coming off of a win over Cody Fister. Sorry, just Cody Fister's name is spelled P-F-I-S-T-E-R, and I always have stupid jokes in my head related to the drug company Pfizer, which most famously does, um, like, has a has a knockoff of Viagra that yeah. they sell. He's 12 and 5. Uh, Taleb will probably take this. Um, it is, But it is a short notice, you know, switch, so we'll it see. It is, and... And C.R. Bahadur Zad is a relatively unique opponent in how you have to prepare for him. So there might be some habits yeah. that Taleb specifically designed that are exploitable. Sometimes, you know, those last-minute switches can take you out of your comfort zone, you know? Especially when you get radically different styles. Uh, I mean, Glover mentioned this last night. He wanted a rematch with Corey Anderson because he, Corey Anderson stepped in on short notice when... Glover was supposed to fight Alir Latifi, and Latifi and Corey Anderson are very different fighters. So I'm going with Taleb there, but yeah, keep an eye out. That one might that one might go the other way. Kyle Nelson will fight Matt Sales. Nelson is 12 and two, lost his UFC debut to Diego Fajaya. I know shame there. Diego Fajaya is actually pretty good. Matt Sales is seven and two. Also lost his UFC debut, in his case, to Shaman Marais, also a relatively good fighter. Um, I'm actually going to go with Sales here, but I don't know. That one, those two guys know they're probably fighting for, you know, maybe their spot on the roster. So ex- there could be some fireworks there. Um, Arjun Bullar will fight Juan Adams. Um, Bullar coming off of the win over Marcelo Golm. Uh, relatively one-dimensional fighter against Juan Adams, who was undefeated at 5-0, and but did not really impress at all in his debut win over Chris De La Rocha. Uh, he, wa- he did not... It's, I mean, he technically stopped De La Rocha in the third, but that was because De La Rocha just stopped breathing. Like, these guys were so gassed at the end of that fight. It was, it was almost comical. Um, I'm going to go with Buller, but I don't know. Uh, Juan Adams might have finally gotten the fabled octagon jitters out of his system and just puts on a puts on a performance. So who knows? And kicking everything off, Mitch Gagnon will fight Cole Smith. Smith is six and zero, oh, uh, making his not fought since 2016. He's been out for almost over two years. 
almost two and a half. Yeah, he had the Lopez fight, and then yeah, that, that was it. Oh. And that was and that was two years since the loss to Burrell, where he, where he didn't really have the worst showing against Burrell. No, he yeah, you know, he actually showed off that hey, all those holes that TJ exploited are still there and can be exploited by someone like me. Uh, yeah, he was off for a while for that. Then he lost to Lopez. Then he had a couple of, I don't know, injuries, I imagine. He, there has to be something like that to explain that kind of layoff because he's not had any drug test failures. Those would have been made public, basically. So he's coming back, and I i mean, I like Gagnon generally. I think he probably wins this fight, but that that that's a legitimate layoff, and that's a legitimate span of inactivity over a four-year period. Just kind of generally, that's troubling. But I, I think he'll probably win this one. Uh, all right. Anyway, that's our set of prelims. Jeff, anything stand out to you that you want to talk touch on that you're looking forward to? Not really. There's some fighters, but, I mean, man, losing that uh, Sayar-Taleb matchup is tough. That was Because that's a good fight. Yeah, again, there might that be does some suck. Good fights, but I mean, again, you can always get good fights in practice, but on paper, this is this is kind of a meh. Alrighty, and again, I will be covering that this coming Saturday in the MMA Zone of Four One One Mania. So stop by, say hello as usual. I appreciate it. Fights for this one are on ESPN. Ah, uh, yeah, they're all on ESPN Plus for this card. Oh. And Anderson Silva's fighting Jaron Cannonier. Uh, yeah, the next pay-per-view. 237, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's... It's an odd choice, but Silva wants to fight in Brazil, and... So that one's his... in, uh, in le- a little less than two weeks, so... Yep. Alright, that should bring us to whatever major news items we have, and I don't actually have anything off the top of my head, so Jeff, what do you what do you want to touch on here? Ortiz has signed a new contract. Combat... Combate Americas, so I guess even Bellator won't take Tito Ortiz anymore. Uh, is he signed to fight, or is he just signed to do some kind of like commentary or ambassador I'm not role? Sure. Let's see. Fight con- uh, fight contract. Well, Tito Ortiz is going to keep fighting, I guess. Um, in f- I mean, God help us. God, did you see that? Have you seen like the clip of him when he signed that? His Spanish is so bad. I mean, his Spanish is really bad. That's oh god, that's almost funny. Like Cain Velasquez speaks better Spanish, basically. I mean, Cain Velasquez start. People get on Cain's. People got on Cain's case about that, which kind of annoys me. I I agree with you about it being annoying. In fairness to the point, when he when the UFC kind of first started pushing him in that role, his Spanish wasn't very good. I mean, it's I, not I, as for. I mean, he speaks Spanish better than me, so I mean. Sure. Can't and, fault him for that. And again, it was it was not the worst Spanish in the world, and it got better as time but went on. People acted like he couldn't speak Spanish at all. Is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, there were a bunch of people who significantly overreacted to that. Again, his Spanish wasn't very good. But that's not the same as it being like actively bad. I mean, again, it's, Which it, it, it's a bit interesting to me, considering you know he had he had Mexican-born parents, and you know, born and probably born and raised in the U.S. But I'm surprised because 
you know, growing up in Texas, most, uh, I'm not saying everyone, but most Hispanic people that I knew were bilingual, you know? Yeah. And I, no, again, I don't know. I mean, his, his Spanish got better, but they could speak. They could speak very fluent Spanish. But that's tech. I mean, I mean, that's Texas. I don't think. I think Kane's from. Is, did he grow Arizona. up? Arizona. Where did he grow up? Arizona. Okay, there you go. Arizona. He was born in Arizona. I think, like okay. you, he might have grown up in Southern California. I'd have to double check because I know he went to college in Arizona. I forget where exactly he was for like, his formative years. Born, he was born in Salinas, California. So. Oh, okay. My yeah, mistake. And that kind of, it, it's a, but he speaks, I, I mean, he speaks, I think, fluid Spanish, but whatever. Um, but yes. Yeah, so, I mean, his Spanish is not quite as good as uh, Valentina Shevchenko's Spanish. Tito Ortiz has a fight contract with Combate, which is another MMA organization that's out there. So. Yeah. Now, Combate Americas has a few good cards every now and then. UFC doesn't have a monopoly. They are the industry leader, but they, they don't have a mon- monopoly on the industry. Depending on how one chooses to define monopoly, by my definition, no, they do not. Right. Well, by my de- definition, they don't either. So yeah. so there you go. Tito right. his new Again, the, la- the language around antitrust often Look and at- monopolies is... Well, he got his... <laughs> He got his first win against Chuck Liddell. Why don't we? Why don't we even things up, Robert? Ugh. No, I don't think we'll get a, another fight between Chuck and Tito. Uh, let's see. Conor McGregor helps push Irish whiskey sales over one billion dollars in the U.S. So good for him. Conor McGregor's a good entrepreneur, so I guess I guess he's not going bankrupt on the, the proper number twelve line for for now, at least. Unless, um, I don't know, unless he got into bed with bad investors or greedy investors or something. Uh, yeah, again, I don't drink, so I don't actually care. But you know what? As a serious note, you know, good for him having a plan for after fighting, having something else to do. Yeah. A lot of more fighters need to make sure they have an eye on the exit because it is going to come, and you better have something to. You better have something. And if Connor wants to get into liquor. Again, he has you know proper twelve as far as his whiskey. He, I know he, I believe he launched that uh, like rosé brand, uh, which is still under that. But he has like a, a line of you know of that. So you know if that's what he wants to do, if that he can be successful at it. You know, Godspeed and party on, man. Were there any other major fight announcements? Uh, let me have a look. Because I, I feel don't- like. I feel like it's been a slow news week. It really has. Um, let me see. Uh, Cejudo versus Marais has basically been filled out. It has for a while, actually. So, yeah, there's nothing new that got really added to that okay, card. So the four, like, four fighters were sanctioned for Oscarine use. Yeah. Um, Augusto Mendez, Marvin Vittori, Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley had previously announced... On his page, he had some sort of issue. Um, and Nico, oh, the former champion, Nico Montagna. Former flyweight champion. Yeah, they uh, had they, they had a few different people with that one this time. What do you, what do you make of uh, Nico's issue? Eh, I, 
I mean, again, I'm not surprised by anyone failing a drug test in the UFC. I'm happy to see USADA get get more in line with what Osterine does. Because for the record, this is the same this is the same substance and in roughly the same do- the roughly the same uh quantities in the test that got Tom Lawler suspended for like 2 years. Okay. And now they're getting their they're getting their sanctions for this more uh, again they're down to 6 months now for this which is probably more in line with what is appropriate given what we know about Osterine. So I collective androgen receptor modulator that is illegally sold worldwide as a performance enhancing substance. Okay, it's banned. It's I have no issue with it being banned. Okay. Like, I'm not. I'm not. This isn't one of those issues where I question its even existence on the banned substance list. I I know what I I well, looked at. It's possible this stuff could be put in supplements without fighters knowing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, Austrian okay. is one of those that kind of, that kind of gets Fighters. into stuff like that all the time. Here, here's a solution: don't take supplements. That is one thing you could potentially do. Uh, Darren Till, we talked about his uh, indiscretions last week. Apparently, he avoids arrest for stealing taxi and plane. <laughs> Let's see. Well, this is. Uh, uh, this is according to the Daily Mail, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, seen in Spanish court in order to pay approximately 700 euros for his involvement in a series of events last week in Tenerife, Spain. In addition to a 700 euro fine, he has to pay another 8,500 8, euros in compensation to the hotel they vandalized. So he's getting off pretty light here for his little episode. Whatever it was. Slap yeah. on the wrist. Uh, this is barely even a slap on the wrist, honestly. Uh, you know, it's nice, when, it's nice when you can actually just afford to pay off criminal indiscretions like that rather than have to go to jail over them. I doubt I, 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 doubt I, w- I would get off that lucky if I, if I caused that much trouble in Spain. Look, if they thought if you could actually pay all the damages, they might let you off with it, but... Well... Um, I think, I believe Woodley versus Lawler too got a few fights announced. Uh, we got Damian uh, Maya versus. Here's here's one thing. Pedro Munoz received a fine from Nevada for an excessive uh, celebration at two thirty five. You are not allowed to jump over the cage. He jumped over the cage. Okay. Other fighters have done that though. Yep, and you're not. You're. It is. If I had to guess, look, it's always been against the rules. Just they don't really enforce it. If I had to throw a guess out there, there's a bit of logic, and I subscribe to this logic generally, that if they were more consistent about stopping fighters from getting onto the cage celebrating to begin with, then they're probably in a better position to stop someone like a situation like what happened with Khabib when he jumped over the cage and then jumped onto Connor's corner. I mean, it seems technically they should find fighters for just jumping on top of the cage as well. Yes. Uh, that is technically correct. NFL has a rule like this, don't they? Uh, they have an excessive celebration rule, yes. You can celebrate. You have to celebrate with inbound. Yeah, they... So, so is I, the electric slide is the electric slide too much celebrating? 
I believe they consider the electric slide too much celebration. Yes. What about fake hilling? I don't know. Again, like they they instituted that rule when touchdown dances had become like elaborate three minute presentations. Really? So I, do you not remember this? No. Oh god, yeah. There was a there was a period of time when, like, after every touchdown, you'd get like four or five guys into the end zone, you know, celebrating, and then instead of just to do that. Well, no, you like there's guys from the you know like from the who were who on the field. You know, somebody would spike the ball, or he'd you know hold the ball up, and then a bunch of other they. Uh, have you ever seen? Uh, there's a Keanu Reeves and Hugh Jack, not Hugh Jackman, Gene Hackman movie I called The Replacements. Yeah. The celebrations that they were doing uh, were not satire. Wow. As far as like those uh, this touchdown celebrations, they could they were getting a little bit out of hand. And that's kind of when they instituted the rule. And they've scaled it back a little bit recently because they do want to have a little bit of fun in the game. But right. yeah, there is an excessive celebration. There's a that there's an excessive celebration penalty in the NFL. There's a taunting penalty in the NFL. So I, I know that the commission officials don't like it when they even get up onto the cage at all, but no, no, they don't. And okay. They, so what were the, what were the other, other fights that got announced? Uh, I believe for, for Woodler Lawler, Woodley Lawler too, excuse me. Uh, I, I think we have our co-main event or what I think is going to be the co-main event between Damian Maya and Anthony Rocco Martin. Which is a really, which is a potentially big, big fight for Martin. Uh, Joseph Benavides and Juicier Formiga are scheduled for a flyweight bout for that fight. What? what? <laughs> Fly? Why? Poor Joseph Benavides. I don't know. Why is this happening, Robert? I don't know. I wish the UFC would just make up its mind about this. Uh, I mean, it's a big opportunity for Formiga. Who's on a four-fight winning streak, and has been calling for this fight? Formiga too. Hmm? I feel like Formiga just fought. Yeah, he beat uh, Dave and Figueredo earlier this year in March. So that was la- that was just over a month ago. I mean, the uh, Woodley Lawler Woodley Lawler two isn't until June. Okay, so it's so it's still a, a bit out. But... Two months that's quick. That is a that and is it- a relatively quick turnaround. Yeah. I mean, there have been there have been quicker turnarounds in this sport. It's not unheard of, but this is very quick. That is a quick turnaround, yes. Like um, I, Chris Lieben had back to back fights in two weeks, I think. He fought on back to back like events. I forget how far apart they were, but yeah, it was like two weeks. I, I think he did a fight night and UFC 100. Yeah, something like that. Um, I mean, Hermanson just recently was a guy who fought. I don't know if he's still in the UFC, but there was one guy who did fight, who won back-to-back fights in, like, less than two weeks, as I recall. Probably. I mean, uh, Hermanson, just his turnaround from David Branch to Jockery was really quick, too. So, uh, it does happen. But, uh, so, that fight card is kind of coming together. They've, there's a few other ones that are kind of floating around there, um... So again, they're working on that one for Anthony Rocco Martin, Damian Maya. Yeah, that's a big opportunity for Rocco if he's able to pull that one off. But, but Maya's, you know, Maya's forty-one. He's uh, kind of yeah, forty-one and just barely broke a three-fight losing streak. So, so I mean, granted, it's arguably a, a good time, high level of opposition. It's, a good time. it's arguably a good time to get in there against a guy like Maya. 
Yeah. Think about it. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's see, two thirty nine has not. Uh, they haven't had. They don't have all the bouts finalized yet, but they've decided. I think they've announced Sean O'Malley and Marlon Vera for that card. Mm-hmm. Uh, two thirty nine is a good card, assuming it holds together. It's a really good card. You have Masvidal and Askren. You have Jones and Santos. International Fight Week stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that's International Fight Week. That's the July 6th one. Oh, so we have Nunes versus Home. And we, I don't think... Uh, so that's official now. Have we talked about that one yet? I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, we've talked. They announced that a while ago. Okay. That, that, what about uh, uh, Blahovich and Luke Rockhold? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they announced that a while ago as Rockhold's, like, de- as Rockhold's debut well, at 205. That fight? I do actually. Uh, I think that's a good test for him and the division, but I think it's a very winnable fight for him. I think it is winnable, but we'll see how he does it. This, I mean, he seems to have a good frame for the weight class. I think. Yeah, he's a that he's he, a, he was always a big, a big guy. <laughs> uh, and so we'll the weight play. cut to two, the weight cut to one eighty five was pretty significant for him. So. Uh... We'll see how that works out. Nine um, has uh, it's got if it can hold together, it's not the worst. I mean, the only thing is 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 Jones Santos going to be any good? I don't know. It's a tough one. It's it's, it's tough I, to predict how good the fight will be. People didn't have high hopes for the first Gustafsson Jones fight, honestly. No, but we also didn't have very high hopes for you know Jones and Smith. And you know, again, sometimes I had, that's... Higher, I had higher hopes for that fight. Mm. I didn't, but well, that's just me. That's just you. So uh, again, Nunes home is a fun fight. I like noon. Definitely Nunes there. Yeah, I'm leaning towards Nunes there as well. I don't see like I'm convinced home simply overperformed against Rousey, who fought a stupid fight against her. Entirely possible. Uh, I, I can. I, I do, like when has home really looked good in the UFC, other than the Rousey fight? Bet Cahaya. No, no, no. That that was not a good fight. It was a okay. good finish, not a good fight. I saw. Right. I remember I that fight. Think she's ever really looked that good. Uh she looked good in the Renault fight. She looked good in the um, Megan Anderson fight. But me, oh, I, I, wait. Hmm. Oh, Miriam Renault. Uh. I was not impressed again. I was not impressed with either fight against Renault or Pennington. The Pennington fight, no, she did not look very good in that fight. I just think it was a bad style matchup for Rousey. Rousey did not fight smart. She had no she had no game plan or technique at all. And yeah, no, I I, I lean towards Nunes in that fight. Confident. Now, look, I'm not saying nine, ta- nine times out of ten Rousey would have won that fight. I just think, like, that was the best performance of her career, and it was, it, and now that fight is almost four years old, you know? Like, she went, she lost every, every title fight home was in after that fight, R- Robert, she lost. Yeah. Like, Cyborg... She really like she she was able to do she was able to like nullify Cyborg's grappling in that fight, but she didn't do anything. Like she did some clinch work, but she didn't really fight Cyborg at all. So 
I see nothing in her game that will topple Nunes. I think the only potential again, there's like I think two really kind of exploit exploitable holes in Nunez's game, and I'm not sure Holly's the person to exploit them. Yeah. I mean, one is Nunez fighting at a very high pace over five rounds because, True. well, she can, again, at a high pace. She right. can fight over five rounds. She worked very, very diligently on her cardio to get to that point. True. And the fights that she's had that have gone all five rounds since then have been fights that she dictated the pace, largely, or were, fight at, were fought at a comfortable pace for her. And I'm... I and again, fighting, being able to fight at a high pace over five rounds is something that a lot of again legitimate champions struggle with. Okay. And so, so again, I think that's a potentially exploitable hole. Well, I, th I think Askren is on this card, so that's yeah, an interesting fight. Masvidal Askren's a good fight. Uh, Ngannou dos Santos is. I think Askren's going to win that fight. Dana White's going to continue going mad. Uh, Askren very well could. I mean, that's a tough fight. Askren's a tough fight for anybody. Yeah. So is Masvidal, but yeah, that, that, very... that, that's just a battle of two guys that are tough. They're tough Masvidal outs. Masvidal just... is very inconsistent. For a while, yeah. He's uh, he seems to have a lot of the, kind of the way he's talking. He seems to have settled a lot of that, but we'll see. We'll see. Got a big win, but it's only one. Yeah, you've also got Ngannou versus Dos Santos, which yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna be sad when Dos Santos is unconscious. Please let this fight card hold together. Yeah, just th there's a lot of good stuff on this card right now. I mean, this is really a, a fight card where it's not like all about the main event. There's a lot of good talent on the undercard. Yeah, this is a very, again, right now we only have like nine fights, but. I mean, the collective undercard, I think, is really better than the main event, honestly. Uh, potentially, depending on how much value you get out of watching a John Jones fight. It's kind of as a John it, Jones well, it fight. Depends on, it depends on it depends on his opponent and, wh how, and what kind of mood John is in, you know? Yeah. So. I believe the UFC did announce that they're going back to Sacramento on July 13th. Uh, we don't ha really have a lot of fights for that, but they do have the date and the location. Uh, you know, they've only announced a couple of fights for it, um, and those are very clearly just filler fights. So we don't have anything near the top of the card yet. But... Uh, that does kind of that does help fill out a little bit of July. So we have two two of what I assume will be the like four events in July in July over the course of the year. So, all right. So there's a few not really like major news, but there's a you know there's a few stories. There's a few things here and there. Oh, I wanted to laugh at Bellator very briefly. What happened with Bellator? Okay, so last night in Bellator, whatever number. I watched part of it, but I because I discovered that if you watch Bellator with the sound off, it becomes generic MMA. If you watch it with the sound on, it's utterly unwatchable because Big John McCarthy oh, and Mike with, Goldberg are the, John Fitch. went to a draw. Oh, my. <laughs> Your main event for one of the opening rounds of their welterweight Grand Prix goes to a majority draw. What do you, how do you handle that? 
Uh, Rory McDonald keeps the welterweight title, and because he kept the title, he's the one who advances in the tournament. It's utter crap. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Why would you have a title fight in a grant in a tournament? That makes no sense. Everybody who fights Rory gets a shot at the belt be, uh, while he's holding it. That makes no sense. Look, if John Fitch had won, John Fitch would have been the champion, would have advanced in the tournament, would have defended it against whoever he fought next. Tournament. It's a Grand Prix, yeah. I, I mean, it makes no sense. It makes no sense to defend your title in, if you're competing in a tournament. That makes no sense. I'm sorry. Now look, whoever wins at the whoever wins the tournament at the end becomes the is will then also be the welterweight champion. Then it's not a then it's not a tournament to me. It is. They have brackets. It's just, it's set up that way. It's that's an that's it, an idiotic tournament. Look, it's Bellator. What do you want me to say? I'm just laughing at it. <laughs> um. Benson Henderson won a split decision because, of course, uh, Phil Davis actually finished somebody. Alina so, yay. Carlin won. Yeah, that was a, oh, God. If you haven't seen what she did to that poor girl that she fought, she opened up a horrible cut on her forehead. I mean, not the nastiest cut I've ever seen, but it's a bad one. Phil Davis beat Leanne McGeary. Yeah, he finished him in the third round. McGeary broke his jaw in the second and then... Like had a tooth come come out in the third. Used to be champ, uh, or, or Davis is who McGeary lost the title to. No, no, da- Davis won the title from McGeary. Oh, I'm sorry. Then Davis lost it to Bader. Yeah, other way around. Um. So anyway, I just I, I just have to mention because I have to laugh at Bellator whenever this these things happen. So John Fitch versus Roy McDonald going to a majority draw in the opening round of your welterweight Grand Prix is just one of those very, very Bellator things, so I'm laughing Wait, at if it's a tournament, shouldn't you have a sudden death round? You'd think, wouldn't you? But Bellator. That's what I... I mean, that was what was supposed to happen in the UFC flyweight tournament until Australia mucked it up. And hey. that, was the, that was also the case for the Ultimate Fighter. At again, least the first season. Again, it's Bellator. Wait, what do you want where, me to say? Where was this fight held? Um, oh, they were in some place pretty. They were in a legitimate. So they could. Why could they? Uh, what they were in San Jose. Why could they not? Yeah, they were. In, they, they were in the Shark Tank. Yeah. Does, does California not allow for sudden death uh, fight? Or, or what's the? Oh, it was a five round fight. Yeah, it was for again. It was for the title. Can you have a sudden death round in a five-round tournament fight? Or is that against the rules? I imagine you can. I, I mean, I imagine they could have put it forth in a way that it was there. They didn't. Was, it ju- was this a justified draw? Um, no. I, I, they, gave John Fit, like, they gave John Fitch a 10-8 in the third, which I don't think was called for. However, I think all three judges also... Or at least one judge also gave Fitch the first, which I don't think is correct either. This was this was just a this was a clown fiesta. This was just a clown fiesta from start to finish. Well, it is Bellator, so. And again, I just I have to laugh at it because Bellator. So. Wait, well. Look, look. If I can't well, find comedic value lost. in Bellator, I can't find it anywhere. Okay. Well, neither guy lost, so. <laughs> Imagine getting John Fitched in 2019 by John Fitch. Didn't John Fitch get the option of being like a replacement or or like a, an alternate now? 
I don't know. I genuinely don't know what the structure they're going to have with this result is going to be going forward. So Weird. Well, I'm glad I don't watch Bellator right now. Or Dazen. Because it's called Dazen. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't have that service myself, so why like why would you name your your combat sports streaming destination Dazen? Like come well, on. I mean, A, they actually pronounce it the zone. Which again, are don't you being, are, you, are you being funny? No. One hundred percent serious. Are you it's, being are are you being what do you think? Do you think I'm an idiot? Jeff, I know they spell it D Z uh it's what, D-A-Z-N? I know how it's spelled. I can see it right here. They pronounce it I will the not, zone. I will not pronounce it that. Okay. You don't have okay, you don't have to. I think it's stupid it too. Is Dazen or Dazen? If ju- it was the zone, it should be spelled apostrophe D-A space Z-O-N-E. That is how you spell the zone. It's two words, not not an acronym. Uh, again, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying they pronounce it the zone and that's why they call it that because, you know, it's, it's the sports zone. You want to get in the, you want to get into zone, right? No, I do not. I, I, don't I give do me, not hold on. I not. I, I, I absolutely feel dirty for saying that even facetiously. So <laughs> I feel like someone else used this before then. I don't know. Possibly. Was there a sports show called that? Uh, probably there was a there was probably a short lived one at some point in the past. Like I remember this on Fox on Fox Sports or or Fox in the Afternoons, like inside the NFL. Yeah, they probably spelled it differently. Or it might have been in, or it might have, or or is this where they got it? I don't know. I don't know, but again, for whatever value you want to assign that particular service. That's I, where I still can't stand that it's called this. Fair like, enough. Why, why could you have not thought of a better name to brand your, like, streaming service around? Like, come on. I don't know. All right. Well. I don't know why, I don't know why a lot of stuff that goes on in media goes on the way that it does. I think, so. we, can, I think we can wrap it up this week then, right? <laughs> All right. Laughing at Bellator and their streaming platform. Yeah. I am down for that. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. What would you like to plug, Jeff? Because I know uh, you saw the biggest movie ever, basically. So, yeah, yeah, and it's been getting... It's at over 200 comments right now, which is pretty good for a movie review. So I want to thank everyone who's read and uh, liked and shared uh, our review of Avengers Endgame. So you can go into movies, check out my review of that right now. Also, you can check out um, if you, you can also check this out on iTunes and YouTube. We're on iTunes and YouTube now. Check out my exclusive interviews with Eli Drake, Billy Gunn, uh, Tony Maglio of the Rap, um, and of course the incomparable Vince Russo. So, all exclusive, official, all that's check that in Wrestling Zone and our iTunes and YouTube channels right now and what will be next uh a couple smaller projects i'm doing the uh for anime if you like anime the code geos movie 
Um, I'll be reviewing that. And E3 is coming up soon, so I'll have a little coverage from that as well. And, oh, and um, since that's coming up in the next few weeks, I have been approved for AEW Double or Nothing. So I plan on doing some live coverage of that. And possibly... And I'm still working out the details, but also possibly StarCast as well. So we'll see. So hopefully some interviews, some some photo, video opportunities that we'll be looking for. We'll see. But it's still being work at, worked out, but it's all in the works. So I can say all that right now. I'll help you get, I'll help you get to those ones then. Yeah. I love the endgame. But I'm not like so blinded by my love of Endgame to acknowledge that it has flaws. Specifically, its use of Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, she's relatively pointless in this movie. You would agree? I mean, she, she's barely a point in her own movie, so of course she's pointless here. <laughs> and, and look, this is not like a misogynist, sexist thing. I liked Captain Marvel for the most part. Um... I just, like, Carol was absolutely useless in this movie, which which is unfortunate. Because um, I think Carol, Carol is a great character that has a ton of history in the Marvel comics, you know? Going back decades. You would agree, right? Yeah, the way she's, uh, a lot of her, a lot of the material that they can draw from is very good. I, I didn't care for Captain Marvel as a movie. Right. No, but I mean, I mean the the character's history. Yeah. At, oh yeah, they, there's a lot of good stuff they can draw from. Like she's like a fairly mainstay Avenger, not maybe not as Captain Marvel, but you know, going back as Miss Marvel. Yeah, she's been there for so a while. Back to the seventies. Um, what else? I mean, some of the time, and I think you would also agree, some of the time travel stuff is a little iffy. I was okay with most How- of it. I. I don't want to get to, but some of it kind of like gives me a headache, but most, I will say most time travel stories do that. Oh, I love time. I, I, that doesn't bother me at all. I, I kind of get a kick out of picking right. apart the, the physics of what, of your time travel scenario, of your well, time travel system least, and how you use it. In this movie's favor, at least they, they kind of, they kind of did something with trying to talk about the logistics of it. And for the record, Bruce, I know that this kind of just, it gets kind of sputtered out just as a means of them defending how they're going to right. go forward with their version of time travel. Bruce Banner's actual um, explanation for why what they're doing in the past won't affect the future, so to speak, is entirely correct. Well, if if that's the if that's the type of if that's the type of time travel you're going to use, that's the logic for why it works the way it works. Right. Well. I and that that stuff I did like, but yeah, I um I'm actually I'm I'm heading over to see the movie again because I want to see the IMAX version tonight because um I live by a genuine IMAX theater and this was a film shot with actual IMAX cameras, so that's a big deal. So I'm looking forward to that. And I saw the movie. I got to see the movie at Walt Disney Studios, and that's always an experience to get to watch a movie like that uh, at the Disney Studio lot. So full disclosure. Um, yeah, so thank you, Robert, and, uh, looking forward to next show. As for myself, um, I just had a few things wrap, I had a project wrap up last Friday when myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina completed the Countdown to Endgame series. It's about, I believe it's exactly three hours long, and the last, fair warning, 
The last 20 minutes talks a little bit about Endgame. Um, everything else up until that point is safe. There's a very, very clear warning in the audio when you get there that this is where we start talking about Endgame. If you're, if the, if you don't want to be spoiled, this is where you pause, come back later, etc. Uh, so you can listen to that. That's been a fun series that the three of us have done. I, I, again, I got kind of a kick out of rewatching some of those movies and revisiting narrative, narrative moments, plot threads, character development over the course of, you know, 10 years and as many movies as they've put out this Tuesday on damn you Hollywood, myself, Mark Radlich, and I believe Alexis Haina will be joining us for this one. We'll be reviewing Endgame as a film in and of itself. So Tune in for that. For those of you who are fans of Damn You Hollywood, we've got some things to say. Uh, good, bad, and otherwise. Um, largely positive, but like Jeff said, there's this is not a perfect movie. There's some stuff, and there's some stuff that I, that I do want to bring up that I think causes issues for the overall film. So you can tune in to us talking about that on Tuesday. Uh, again, Saturday on the 411 Ground and Pound Radio, excuse me, Saturday I'll have coverage of UFC uh, Iaquinta versus Cowboy in, in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. And next Sunday we'll be back here to review that, and I think we'll actually have a, I think that'll be it. I think all we'll be doing is reviewing that event because... That'll take place on the 4th. Nope, actually we will be previewing, sorry, I had looked at the wrong looking at the wrong month on the calendar we will be previewing as well ufc 237 which is a pretty solid card actually the top three fights are very are pretty good you have rose nama Yunus versus jessica andrage anderson silva and jared cannonier is either going to be awkward or some fireworks and then jose aldo versus alexander volkanovsky is on the one hand, it depresses me because I don't want Jose Aldo to knock off another top contender. But that's a that's a really good fight. Um, BJ Penn is still technically on that card. Ugh. Anyway, we'll preview all of that next week. Uh, I hope to see you all then. Until then, everyone, thank you again very much for being here, for listening, for sharing us around with your friends who are fans of the sport. That's uh, always deeply appreciated. I will see you all next week. Until then, stay safe. Please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.